This is Trey Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching. I pray that it empowers you, encourages you, and motivates you to know God and to be who He's created you to be. Hello, this is Trey Johnson with Being Your Best with Trey Johnson, and thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, we're expecting great things, whether it's morning, night, whatever time of day it is, wherever you're watching, we just want to thank you for, for joining us. You know, I'm really excited about what God is going to share with us tonight. And during this time that we're living in, it's very important that we let go of what we think we know about God and we really go to His Word. Kind of a, a, a great, not kind of, it is good foundation is always asking, okay, where's the Scripture? Why do I believe the way that I believe and where's the Scripture to back it up? Because a lot of times we think God uh, thinks like we do. <laughs> we think God believes like we do. And we try to bring God down to our way of doing and our way of living. And, and that's not the case at all. That's not true, ser truly serving God. See, true servanthood is serving someone the way that they want to be served, not the way we think they should be served. And a lot of times we want to serve God on our terms, but we'll never get the results. We'll never walk in the peace and the fulfillment and the power that God has for our life when we're trying to bring God down and adjust Him to our life. I learned years ago that most of my encounters with God are going to be corrective because God is perfect and I'm me. So whenever I enter into the presence of God, I want to be willing to let go of my way of thinking, my way of believing, my way of doing, and I want to embrace God's Word. And tonight we're just going to be talking about the importance of what happened during the death, during the burial, and during the resurrection of Jesus. I know some of you watching this, you'll get this after the fact, but right now, is very important time in our country. Right now, it's important that you and I get a hold of God's Word and we take ownership of our relationship with God. And so I want to pray, and then we're going to get right into God's Word tonight. Father, we just love you so much, and I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing in us and through us. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome to reveal to us the heart of the Father, that our ears are open, our mind is open, our heart is open, that tonight we grow in our relationship with God. Tonight, that there are things said that change our life forever. They change the way we look at God, the way we look at ourselves. They change that there's a stirring, a passion on the inside of every one of us to come up and to be everything we're called and created to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection, it's one of my favorite holidays. You know, at, at Christmas time, we celebrate, you know, the birth of Jesus and what a great gift He is to us. But during Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate a miracle. We celebrate really what we believe as, as Christians. And, and so I want you to think with me about the power of the death of Jesus, the power of the burial of Jesus, the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Why do we celebrate during this time? Really, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? You know, not too long ago, I was reading this story uh, about a guy back when slavery was, was okay in the United States. And this gentleman he had, he had walked up on this auction block where they're, they're selling slaves and he'd kind of sat back and he watched for a little bit and, and he noticed how people would go up and they would, they would touch the women you know, inappropriately and just examine them and then they would grab a hold of the guys and they would check out their muscles and as one slave after the other would come up on the stage and they would bid on them and, and this guy, he was just kind of checking it out and he noticed in the far distance 
a young lady who was just so frightened and her eyes were full of fear and, and she didn't know what, what her future looked like. And these slaves, they would be shackled with their hands and shackled with their feet and, and they'd be brought up on stage. And as this young girl got ready to approach upon the stage, the auctioneer calls out, start, starts the bidding, and all of a sudden this man just yells out from the back, I'll give you twice as much of whatever, whatever the cost is, I'll give you twice as much. And a silence just fell upon the crowd and the gavel fell and the, the auctioneer said, sold. And sure enough, the guy, he gets up and he, you know, he goes and he's waiting there patiently at the edge of the stage. And this, this young girl who was afraid and frightened and her, her hands and feet were shackled, they shimmy her to the front of the stage and they, they hand a rope to the guy. And as she has her head down, she gets down in front of the guys and she looks up and she just spits in his face. And the guy just gently takes his handkerchief and he, he wipes his face off and he just tells the girl, come, come follow me. And he leads her to the edge of the crowd where this table where they did all the, you know, they, they, they paid for the slave and then they get these papers back saying that the slave was free. And so he did all the paperwork and, and he got the paperwork and the girl sitting there not knowing what's fixing to happen. And the man, he turns and he grabs the paper and he, he hands them to the lady. And she had this strange look in her eyes like, what, what's happening? And he said, I bought you to set you free. And her not knowing what was going on, she sat there for a moment and she kept just repeating that phrase over and over and over. You, you bought me to set me free. You, you bought me to set me free. You, you bought me, and the guy says, as long as you have these papers, nobody can ever make you a slave again. And the young lady falls to her knee, knees and tears running down her face, and she said, because you bought me to set me free, I'll serve you forever. You know, that's what we celebrate whenever we're celebrating the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus paid for you and I to set us free. That no longer do we have to be slave to addiction. We no longer do we have to be slave to sin. Nothing that the devil tries to keep us in bondage with, he bought us to set us free. You know, everything that God does, it's because he loves us and he wants a relationship with us. And he's very serious about you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before or if it's dawned upon your heart, but God is after you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what sin you've had in your life. He is passionate about you having a relationship with him. Think about from where we're at right now, because a lot of times we take God for granted. You know, we have all the technology, we have satellite, we have phones, we have, we have all this type of stuff. But let's rewind for several thousand years and, and get the heart of God of why, or even longer than that, why, why did God create man? He created man to have an intimate relationship with man. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, he talks about him creating us in his likeness and his image. And he says for us to have dominion and authority and, and to subdue the earth and to fulfill our assignment upon the earth. But then you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and God telling them, don't, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Sure enough, as we fast forward in the progression of man and his relationship with God, well, at the beginning, Adam was always saying yes to God. 
Whatever God said, they had the same heart, the same mind. The, there's always yes, yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. But, but whenever Satan deceived Adam and, or Eve, and Adam wasn't deceived, the Bible says, but when he deceived them and they, they made a decision to disobey God's word, they were saying no to God and they were saying yes to Satan. At that time, Adam and Eve, who were made in the image and likeness of God and who had the dominion and authority, they had the life of God on the inside of them, went from being in right standing with God to now they're in wrong standing with God. They went from being alive on the inside to now being dead on the inside. See, the word sin in itself means to miss the mark. It comes from a, an archery term, like a, somebody shooting a bow and arrow, that whenever we disobey, we sin, we miss the mark. And the Bible says the wages of us missing the mark is death. Death meaning separation from God. And so here you have man created in the image and likeness of God, but then he chose to say no to God and he disobeyed God. He sinned, and now he's separated from God, still created in the image and likeness of God, God's heart still wants an intimate relationship with this man, but now this man is separated from a source. So God, the Bible says, from before the foundations of the world, had a plan already put into motions to bring God and man back together in relationship. And this is, this is what covenant means. One of the meanings of the word covenant means to come together in agreement. See, Adam and God were in agreement in the very beginning, but whenever he sinned, now they were in disagreement. When you put the prefix dis, D-I-S, in front of any word, it reverses the meaning. So they were in agreement, then they were in disagreement. So God wanted and desires still to bring man and him into agreement with each other. So this is how God started putting into motion a covenant, covenant meaning bringing God and man into agreement. And in order for this covenant to be made, there had to be a representative of God and there had to be a representative of man. And the word represent means to represent the will of another, acting as that person and for that person. So stay with me here. So you had man needed a representative between him and God and God needed a representative between him and man. And God's representative and man's representative come together in Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's verse 5, and it says that Jesus was the mediator between God and man. So Jesus was representation. He, he represented us to God, and He represented God to us. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus is the perfect imprint. He's the exact likeness. He is the duplication of the heartbeat of God. So I want you to picture, how can God bring us and Him back together? He sent a mediator who is Jesus to get us back together in agreement. But in order for us to be in agreement, Jesus had to come in the form of man. So let's rewind here. Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God. They were given dominion and authority. But when they sinned, they gave that dominion and authority over to Satan. So God had to come in the form because he gave authority to man. He had to come in form of man to get the dominion and authority back. So he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus. Now think about this. In order for Jesus to truly be our representative, to represent, represent the will of another, and to act as us and to speak on our behalf, He had to know what it was like being us. 
He had to know what it was like in a flesh and blood body. He had to know what it felt like. He had to, he had to have hands and he had to have feet in order for, to, to hang on a cross. He had to have flesh that had to be tore apart and ripped in order to take our sin and our sickness and all the curse upon his body. He had to know what it was like to think like us, to walk like us, to talk like us. See, without a body, he never would have known what it was like to starve. He never would have known what it was like to, to be without water. He never would have known what it was like to feel a fist smashing his face and his, his body just being ripped apart. He never would have known what it felt like to be sitting there and you're so distressed and so hurting because you've lost a loved one or you've lost somebody that you care about or a kid too young or a family member that was too young, whatever the case is, but he was our representative. He had to come and be as us and for us so he could truly be our representative. Now think about this with me for a moment. He, he knew what it was like to be a, a, a baby in the womb of a mother. He knew what it was like to come through the birthing process and he knew what it was like to be a young toddler and then a teenager. Every, now, now pause here for a moment because every step of the way, you know what he was saying to God? He was saying yes. He was saying yes because that was God's original design for Adam to always say yes to God. But when he said no to God and he said yes to Satan, it put a bridge between man and God. And so now Jesus had to come as a man representing us, representing the will of you and I, representing every man and woman. And every part of the way as a young child, he was saying yes. With every temptation, he was saying yes. With every, every problem, he was saying yes to God. With everything that he faced on this earth, he was always saying yes, yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. That's how you and I overcome. You know that Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus shows us how he defeated Satan in his earthly walk, saying yes to God. It didn't matter if he was starving, his answer was yes to God. It didn't matter if he was tempted, his answer is yes to God. How do you walk out of temptation? How do you lift that oppressive spirit off of your life? How do you begin to change the way you think and change what you believe and change your, your life by saying yes to God? Yes, yes, yes to God. If you'll just start one day at a time saying yes to renew in my mind. Yes to putting God first. Yes to believing in the mercy and grace of God. Say yes to God. There's an empowerment there. When you say yes to God, He'll begin to rebuild and remold and reshape and restore simply by saying yes to God. Yes to God. Think about what Jesus went through. Think about the struggles that, that He had to face because He was our representative. Think about the time whenever he carried his cross up to, to Golgotha and, and they began to, to, to nail him to the cross. Now, now I, want, I want us to think here for a moment because why would the religious leaders want this man crucified? Because wouldn't it have been easier for them just to hire some assassin to take him out? Because if they bring Jesus into public and, and crucify him, it, it has the potential to cause a riot. But see what would happen at this time under law the punishment, uh, the corporal punishment was them being stoned or them being strangled. And after they were stoned and strangled, then they would hang them upon a cross. And the reason they would hang them upon a cross, because it was signifying that they're cursed of God. 
They're cursed of God. So the religious leaders wanted Jesus not only stoned and beaten, but they wanted Him to hang up on the cross for everybody saying He's cursed of God, that He's a sham, He's a liar, it's not true, He's not the Messiah, He's cursed of God, He's cursed of God. But what they didn't know, what was taking place while He was hanging on that cross and they were declaring He was cursed of God, is that the results of man's sin... The curse itself was going upon the body of Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man who hangs on the tree. I want you to picture this with me. Cursed, empowered to fail, is every man who hangs on the tree. Every curse coming upon Jesus' body. Every bit of sin and sickness and hurt and pain coming upon Jesus' body. I want you to see what was taking place. They were saying, cursed! And on the inside, this is what was transferring to Jesus was all the curse, all the pain, all the hurt. Now notice Jesus, He was identifying with you and I. As He hung upon that cross, He was identifying with you. And I, you know you were there that day. You know I was there that day. I want you to picture this with me. As Jesus hung upon that cross and He was taking the sin of the whole world, the whole world, every one of us, every one of our faults, every one of our problems, I want you just to see us lined up as far as the eye can see, generation after generation after generation, and Jesus was identifying with you and I. He was being our representation upon that cross. And He sees us bringing our heart of bitterness to Him. He sees us bringing every bit of addiction and pain and pornography and rape and murder and every bit of unforgiveness and anything that kills, steals, and destroys that represents in every one of our lives bringing it right to Jesus. And Jesus was consuming sin and the result of sin even though He had never sinned. To this point, he had always said yes to God, 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 yes to God. Yet yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, he says, God, if it's your will, take this, take this away from him, but not my will, your will be done. What was he saying? He was saying yes to God. And then you know the famous words that Jesus began to declare as he was hanging upon the cross. He said, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why, do you, why would he say such a thing? Because God the Father could not look upon sin. He could not look upon the imperfection. And during that time, Jesus, as our representative, he knew what it was like to be separated from the love of our heavenly Father. But he took it anyway. He took all the sins of the world upon his body. And when he got done dealing with you, and he, when he got done dealing with me, and he got done dealing with all the sins of the world, you heard another famous words that we've heard for years. It is finished. It is finished. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from God. But when every bit of sin and every penalty of sin was done, he echoes this word and he said, it is finished. He was saying it's finished over your life. It's finished over my life. It is finished. And the devil did not know what was taking place. But as he echoed these words, see, during that time, the phrase it is finished, it was used in a couple of different ways. And in one way it was used as an, in battle, one of the generals or the, the officers would go up on a hill and he would overlook the battlefield because the foot soldiers couldn't see what was going on when they're in the middle of battle. 
And so they would have their head down and they would be fighting, taking the territory until they heard it is finished. Because in the middle of the fight, sometimes you can't see what's going on. But when they would hear the word of their general saying it is finished, they knew that they had won the battle. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, everything that the devil has come against you, it is finished. He is lost. He is defeated. He is made to nothing in your life. It is finished. Another way that they would use this phrase in, in ancient times is they would, they would have, if, the, if a, a person couldn't pay their debt, they would sit down and they would write all the debts on a, on a piece of paper and they would write down who that they owe and they would write down one debt after the other and one debt after the other and one debt after the other and one debt after the other, kind of like you and I. Because of sin in our life, there's no way that we could pay off the debt that we owe. And what they would do is they, as they would, they would pile all their debts together and they take it outside and they would, they would stick it close and they would hammer a nail into this hand that had all their debts on it and they were hoping that somebody who was financially able and somebody who had a compassionate heart and who was full and full of grace would come by and would see all the debt that they have and paid in full. Whenever they saw that word paid in full, it was saying... All these debts were paid and this person is set free to go and be who they're called and created to be. You know, you and I could never pay all the debts that we owe in our life. But God in His mercy and God in His grace and God in His goodness by the blood of Jesus, Jesus writes over your life, paid in full. The debt you owe, paid in full. I want to go to Colossians chapter 2, and I just want to read this scripture to you right here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, Having now, I want you to picture these accounts with all these debts written on them. And I need to hear what the Bible says. It says, Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bond, with its legal decrees and demands which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us, this note with its regulations, decrees and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, And God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in Him and in it the cross. Now think about, so you had man from the very beginning designed to have a relationship with God, but when he said no to God and yes to Satan, he gave the dominion and authority over to Satan. So God, in his mercy, had to come in the form of man to represent God to man and man to God and get the dominion and authority back. And he says, all the debt, all the sin, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated. Then he said, it is finished, saying the battle has been won, saying that he wrote paid in full across your life, saying that the devil has been disarmed and principalities have been disarmed and made to nothing, made of no effect. First John 3, 8 says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, was to destroy and loosen and undo every tactic of the devil. He has no power and no right in your life when you don't give it to Him. Paid in full. So here you have Jesus on the cross, this taking place, and after He took the sin, and after He said, it is finished, then in John 19, verse 30, it says that He bowed His head, and He said, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. What happened? 
whenever that happened, when that took place into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's saying, Father, I trust you in life and I trust you in death. And the Bible says during this time that Jesus himself in death. Let's, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I just want to read it to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. So we have what happened on the cross. This is what happened when Jesus died. Verse 14, since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood in the physical nature of human beings, he himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature that by going through death he might bring to naught and bring of no effect to him who had the power of death that is the devil. Notice that, that he brought him to naught, made him of no effect who had the power of death that is the devil. And also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. What was he saying there? Now, Jesus said that we've all sinned. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 12, it says, Because of the one man's sin, death entered into the world, and death came upon all men. Remember, death meaning separation from God. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now think about this for a moment. When Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus was buried, this was taking place that the one who had the dominion and authority, who was Satan, that he, he went in in our, our representation. So you and I didn't have to go there. And he took back the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He took back the dominion and authority that Adam gave to Satan. Revelations 1.18, he says, I was alive and now I'm dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he ra was raised from the dead. And whenever he was raised from the dead, it didn't, it didn't stop there. The victory didn't stop there. It started with tragedy on Friday, but on Sunday it, it, it began with triumph. It ended with triumph. That triumph was Jesus was raised from the dead to give you and I a right to come back into relationship with Almighty God because of what Jesus did on the cross and what He did in the burial and what happened at the resurrection. He, he made a way for you and I to live for eternity with Almighty God regardless of your past, regardless of the sin, regardless of where you've come from. This is what is written whenever God looks at your life paid in full. But the thing about it is, you and I, we have to accept this eternal life. We think the resurrection is the greatest miracle there is, and it is a great miracle, but the greatest miracle is what happened on the cross and the death and the resurrection. What happened was the end of an age stopped and a new era began that you and I no longer, listen, you and I no longer have to be separated from God, but because of what Jesus did, we can come back into relationship with Almighty God. Because of what Jesus did, you and I come out of the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of Jesus. Christ, because of what Jesus did, the devil has been brought to nothing. He has been brought to zero. That addiction, that poverty, that sickness, that disease, the virus is brought to nothing in the name of Jesus. And Jesus was raised from the dead. Matthew 28, he says, Now all power and authority has been given unto me. Now I give it unto you. Now you go. You go and run your race. Now you go. And these signs will follow you if you'll believe. You go and you declare, God, you're my refuge. You're my fortress. You're my high tower. You are, you are almighty God. You begin to say who God is to you. You begin to latch on to the life of God. Think about what happened. Jesus was raised from the dead and these disciples are sitting in the room and the Bible says that Jesus comes through the wall and He says, peace to you. And He breathes 
upon them and they receive eternal life. They receive the life of God because they believed in Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, To as many as believe on Him, to them gives He the power to become the sons of God. You have an opportunity right now to receive the same eternal life that the disciples received. You have the opportunity to say, How, how can I receive that eternal life? By simply believing in Jesus. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. Remember, remember, covenant means to bring together in agreement. And there had to be a representation from God to man and man to God. And Jesus was that representation. But God made his agreement with Jesus. So whenever you and I accept Jesus, we receive everything that God and Jesus made an agreement on. And they made an agreement that He is not holding your sins against you. They made an agreement that you belong in the presence of God. They made an agreement that His Spirit is in you and He's given you His name and He's given you angels and He's given you His Word. They've made an agreement that you are created in the image and likeness of God and you are created for success. You are created for a great plan. Jesus made an agreement with God about you. But you have to accept that agreement. Revelations 3.20, it says that, that he sits at the door and he knocks. And any person who hears and any person who opens the door, he says, I will come in and I will have relationship with you. You know, God can knock on your heart for your whole life and you continually keep the door shut, He isn't going to huff and puff and blow the door down. He's not going to make Himself come right in that door and say, I'm God Almighty and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, He says, I knock. You've got to listen. You've got to open the door. And when you do, I'll come in. Resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is one of the greatest things that there, there has ever been. You talk about a crisis. You think about man was separated from God, but because of Jesus, there was a solution. They came out of the other side of that crisis, bigger, better, faster, stronger. That's what you and I are supposed to do in our relationship with God. We might be going through trials and tribulation right here and crisis right here, but because of the Spirit of God in us and on us, we're delivered from the power of darkness, brought into the family of Jesus Christ, full of the Spirit of God. We have the name of Jesus and He's expecting the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to quicken our mortal bodies, to quicken us on the inside. And we as a nation, we're going to come out of this better, stronger, faster, quicker, better than ever before because that's the power in the resurrection of Jesus. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and personal Savior, if you were to die today, you've never, you've heard in your heart You've, you've heard the knocking, but you've never opened the door. You know that if you were to die right now, you wouldn't spend eternity with God because you've never accepted what Jesus did. You've never believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you've never declared with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. If you've never done that before, and you want to settle where you're going to spend eternity, you want to, you want to, John chapter 5 says, the person who has Jesus has eternal life. The person who doesn't have Jesus does not have eternal life. You're still separated from God. But right where you're sitting, standing, driving, wherever you're at, you can accept Jesus and come right back into relationship with God, the creator of heaven and earth, and you can fulfill what you're created to do, and you can have that certainty and that knowing that you're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. So this is what I'd like you to do. 
I'd like you to pray this very simple prayer together with me out loud right where you're at. And as you believe these words in your heart and as you declare these words with your mouth, according to God's word, right where you're at, you receive eternal life and you can be certain that you'll spend eternity with almighty God. Can we pray this together? Can we just say, Father God, today is the day that I make the decision to believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to give me life. And right now, I accept that life, and I declare you, Jesus, as my Lord and as my Savior. Now, according to God's Word, if you said that prayer for the very first time, right where you're sitting, standing, driving, wherever you're at, you received eternal life. You're now in the family of God. You can be certain that you'll spend eternity with Almighty God. Now, I want to encourage you. This is just the beginning of the greatest day of your life. Get connected to a great local church. Get into God's Word. Connect to what we have online. Keep growing. Keep going. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. This is Trey Johnson with Being Your Best with Trey Johnson. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week.